0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Cedar Creek Community Church. i will to get a timer going here. I'm a little fearful this one will go long. We'll see. So sorry if it does. Um, but yeah, welcome to Cedar Creek Community Church. Now, even though I'm the only one here this morning, Rob Mark and I We are all back from Miami, Florida, and we've been enjoying, or at least I can say I've been enjoying being back in my natural habitat where the sun does not burn me. Um, And, uh, you know, you're not sweating buckets every time you step outside. Just not, definitely not used to, uh, it was particularly hot. I think it was 80, 89 degrees pretty regularly. And our uh, Uber driver had told us that it was freakishly warm for Uh, this season. It's their winter season. And it was interesting because he said, you know, when it gets down into 50 in Miami, everybody gets their winter coats out. (laughs) Like when it gets up into 50 in Wisconsin, we're sunbathing in the front lawn. So, but a special thank you to everybody here who helped out. Uh, a lot of with the three pastors gone um, and other staff being out, a number of you stepped up and helped uh, remove. Well, I don't know, fourteen or sixteen inches of snow from the grounds. Uh, helped clean the building. Helped fill in in all sorts of ways. So for everybody who participated in that and gave gave a helping hand, a, a sincere gratitude and thank you uh, to all of you making it happen. So that. Emily and I could go and the rest of us could go. But to give you a brief report on that trip, uh, we, were, we were gone for nine days, but a number of those days were you know, traveling, uh, driving all over the place. So we were actually in Miami for five full days. Three of those were a conference. One of the days was with a region, with our region, so the pastors of our bordering states. You got North Dakota, you got uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, I think that's the Three states it so was we had a meeting with them, and we got to share in some mutual teaching and some mutual encouragement and that was really, really good and Then we got to spend two days at this conference called the C One Network, uh, where we networked with pastors from all over the nation and the world. Uh, I got to see a good friend of mine. Um, uh, Frank Apisa, he's a pastor in Italy. I've served over there uh, with him at, at doing English clubs, so I got to catch up with him and, and a number of other pastors from around the around the globe, and that was a good time. And we learned more about what the C1 Network is, and it's it's really different from the GCC Association we were a part of, which was a, a network of pastors or a network of uh, churches. It was an association. This is a network of pastors, so it's it's kind of like a like a business network where you get to know people in your profession. So it's a little bit different from um, our old GCC association. And if I gave a brief summary of what we learned about what it is, this was our second year going, and the GC, or the, uh, C1 Network is a network of pastors who get together through an app on your phone regularly, uh, through Zoom calls and teachings and stuff like that, and then once a year get together annually uh, with the common goal of having healthy and strong leaders. So that's really what that is. But the two extra days that we were there, so we did three days of conference, the two extra days we were there, Emily and I got to do a little bit of vacationing. Uh, We spent some time, well, pretty much all the time, with Mark and Nancy and Rob. And we got to go to Shark Valley, the uh, national park of the Everglades. And we got to take a 15-mile bike ride in the sweltering heat uh, with no shade uh, and see all sorts of alligators and turtles and gar and all sorts of other fun stuff. And then we also got to kayak through the mangroves, the mangrove forests of um, Biscayne National Park. And that is just absolutely beautiful to see God's creation. And it's so different from our... our, uh, natural habitat here. Those types of trees, the roots are a couple feet above the ground, and there's mud right under them, and there's just all this network of roots and crabs, and their little houses in there, and so we were watching these crabs, and they'd skitter every time you would put your paddle in the water, and they would dive back in their holes and come back out, and they're clacking their claws, and it was just quite quite fun for, for us to go and do. But with all of that, I'm looking forward to continuing on in our Genesis series this morning. We're going to be covering the chapter of Genesis 17. We're going to skim over part of that chapter, specifically verses 15 through 21, because Mark is going to be covering that portion of the text next week. But let's pray, and we will dive into Genesis chapter 17. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I'm grateful um, for you, and we're grateful for you. We're grateful for all the good things that you do for us We're grateful that we can gather together freely as a church. We can talk about you. We can worship you. We can honor you. We can learn more about your wonderful and beautiful and glorious character and nature. Um, And God, I pray for all of our hearts this morning that we would be soft to hear uh, what your scriptures say about who you are. I pray that uh, we would be soft to receive all the good news that you have for us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we would enjoy our time here. That we would commit this day and our weeks to you. We love you, Father, and in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So, as I said, this morning we're going to be covering the entirety of Genesis chapter 17, and that's actually 27 verses. It's much longer than previous chapters where we're going to cover the entire thing. And you might be thinking, Justin, are you going to actually read through the whole thing? And yes. I would like to read through the entire chapter together because there are going to be portions I'm going to skip over and not really address this morning. And that gives us the opportunity to see that whole forest before I decide to focus in on two of the trees, specifically two of the verses. Um, So I'm going to read through Genesis chapter 17. It takes about three minutes. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to open them up. If you have an app on your phone, ESV actually has a free app with the whole Bible on it. I know you, I think it's version has a number of versions on theirs. Uh, You can open up an app on your phone. Otherwise, you can just listen along to Genesis chapter 17. This morning, we're in the ESV. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, And all those born in his house and bought with his money, every male from among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Now there is a great deal packed into that chapter. It took me about three and a half minutes to read through it this morning. And I will admit, while it would be up my alley to walk through every single verse and give you Noah Webster definitions and look at the Hebrew, we just can't do that this morning. In fact, if I tried to be honest. In preparation for this, I was kind of beating my head against a wall because that's what I like to do, and I realized if I tried that, it would be a little bit like this. Imagine I am uh, driving a boat, a speedboat, and there's a rope or a tether, and there's a tube in the back, and you guys are on that tube, and I'm going 60 miles an hour doing figure eights the whiplash that we would uh, go through would be a little difficult this morning. So as I studied and prepared, I was asking the Lord for a way to uh, work through this passage that would be a little bit more concise, and, and he revealed to me what I think is a framework or a lens in which we can kind of see this chapter and everything that's going on here, and, and we will see that here in the first two verses in Genesis 17. So we're going to dive into those two verses and see how they lay out a framework for us for the rest of this chapter. So let's read those first two verses and look closely at those instead of the whole thing. So Genesis 17, one through two, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So the first thing we see in Genesis 17 the first few words in we see Abram is 99 years old. He is 99 years old and if we took a cursory glance back at Genesis 16 which we covered 2 weeks ago in Genesis 16:16 16, 16, we see Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So between Genesis 16:16 16, 16, and Genesis 17:1 13 years have passed with nothing recorded in between. Apparently, while well, we don't know what they're doing, we don't know what they're up to, we don't know how they're feeling about the situation, it doesn't appear, at least documented, that God has come to Abram along this time, which just skips ahead 13 years. Now, if I had to guess, if we recount a little bit of Genesis chapter 16, Sarai and Abram put into practice or put into play this plan to bring about God's promise through the Egyptian servant, Hagar. If I had to guess here, 13 years have gone by with no recording, perhaps Sarai and Abram are pretty content with the way things are going. Like, well, it appears that God's promise is going to come through this plan that we put in place. Things are going smooth and things are going Well, So I'm guessing they're satisfied with with the way things are going. But here, now, 13 years later, God appears to Abram once again. And even at 99 years old, and what we watched in Genesis 16, when he had deviated from God's design and deviated from God's plan, even at 99 years old, 13 years later, God is not done with Abram yet. He is not finished with him yet. And so he appears to a 99-year-old man. And I think for us this morning, that can bring us some comfort. He's 99 and God's not finished with him yet. And I'm guessing nobody here in this room is clocking in at 99 years old. And I would suspect, even though we're uh, virtual here, people tuning in on YouTube, there probably aren't many 99-year-olds listening in this morning. But even at 99 years old, even when we are older in our lives, our God is still active and working just like he was in Abram's life. He has a will and a plan and a purpose for us, even when we've strayed from his design. But despite the disaster of Genesis 16, and despite it being 13 years later, God steps back into this story. He enters in here at Genesis 17.1, and he appears and speaks to Abram, which is where we begin to see this framework for the rest of the chapter bear out. And God comes to him, and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. The first thing God declares to Abram Those uh, four words, I am God Almighty, lays a bedrock and a foundation for everything that's about to happen in Genesis chapter seventeen. In the Hebrew, that phrase God Almighty is is El Shaddai. I think many of you may have heard the term or the, the Hebrew El Shaddai before, and it's translated here God Almighty. It can also be translated God most powerful. And what in essence God is saying by that declaration, by that proclamation of his name, that he is God almighty, that he is God most powerful, he is saying to Abraham, there is nothing that is impossible with me. There is nothing that I cannot do. And I would submit to you that everything else that he says throughout Genesis 17 hinges on. it. That phrase that he is God Almighty is the foundation for all of it. God comes to Abram, proclaims, and reminds who he is. If we took a look back at Genesis chapter 12, when Abram was called out of Haran, where his father lived, God proclaims to Abram who he is. If we take a look back to Genesis chapter 14 in his efforts and his struggles against the king Keter Laomer, and we look at him going to the high priest, the priest king Melchizedek, Melchizedek proclaims who God is. In Genesis chapter 15, when we walked through the faith of Abraham and God cutting the covenant with him, we saw proclaimed who God is. Everything that Abram is going to be given here rests and stands on who God is. Just like everything we are given in the scriptures rests and stands on the character and nature of God. And now this last week, I was studying the book of uh, Ezekiel, and I was a little shocked at the number of times God comes to his people and says, you shall know that I am the Lord. Over 80 times in a 48-chapter book, that exact phrase is repeated over and over and over. If we look through the Bible for the phrase, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, or you shall know that I am the Lord, you shall know that I am the Lord your God, hundreds of times. Because what we believe and what we trust in must be the bed, that bedrock, that character and nature of our king. So just like Abram needed to stand on who God was, you and I need to do the same thing this morning. And if we are not standing on who he is and who he professes and proclaims for us to be, we will find ourselves on shifting sand. When the winds and waves of life come and batter against us, we will find that we will trip, we will fall, we will sink in the mud because we are not standing on that firm foundation. And so God reminds Abram of who he is here, and he's reminding us this morning of who he is. He is God Almighty. He is God Most Powerful. He is El Shaddai, and nothing is impossible with him. And I think there's two reasons, more so than the one I just outlined, why God would start off his proclamation, his appearing to Abram here why he would start off proclaiming who he is. And I don't even know if Abram knows that God is addressing some issues in his life. Maybe Abram's aware of it, maybe he's not. But I think the first issue that God is addressing in Abram's life is Abram's faithlessness. Now, if we recall back to Genesis chapter 16, just two weeks ago, we walked through the story of Sarai and Hagar. Hagar. And we see that God had given this promise to Abram to make a multitude of nations of him that he would have this son. And Sarai, after many years had gone by of being barren and without child, she came to Abram and said, look, hey, I have this Egyptian servant, this maidservant, you should take her as a second wife. Let's step outside of God's design here and let's see if this brings about the promised blessing. And so we watched Abram enter into a polygamous marriage, a marriage outside God's design that we saw in Genesis chapter 2. And they have Ishmael. And now everything looks like it's going fine. But I would submit to you that in that, in Genesis 16, we watched Sarai and Abram waver in their faith. To be blunt, I think they broke faith with God. They had been given a promise They knew the design they were supposed to stay within and they stepped outside of it to try to make that promise happen in their own strength. And here we are, 13 years after that breaking of faith, that faithlessness that they displayed, the wavering of their faith, and God responds. And praise God he doesn't respond the way you and I would want to, right? When someone breaks faith with us, When somebody does something to hurt us, when somebody does something that's truly unsavory or disconcerting, it wounds us emotionally. Perhaps wounds us physically. Our inclination is to cast them aside. I don't have time for you in my life if you're going to be negative to me or treat me in a way that I don't like. This is a common thing. We you know you we see it on social media. I don't like what you post so i can't be your friend. And not only can i not be your friend on facebook, i don't even think that i can be your friend in real life. Cuz i don't agree with you on this political thing, or i don't agree with you on this medical thing, or i don't agree with you on this theological thing or whatever it is. But here in Genesis 17 we see God does not act this way. Our God is bigger than this. Turning to 2 Timothy 2:13, We see a bit about God's character here. It says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself because it's embaked in the very nature of God that he is faithful to those of his covenant. So even when we break faith, even when we've put our foot to a path that disobeys God and steps outside of his design, even when we find ourselves giving into that temptation for the thousandth time, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. And so after 13 years of apparent silence, 13 years of living in that wavering of faith, between Genesis sixteen sixteen and Genesis 17, 1, God enters back into that story and says, I am faithful to you, the one that I cut the covenant with in Genesis 15. I will not deny myself. And you and I can rest on that this morning, that he is faithful when we are faithless. When we have done something that makes us ashamed, he is still with us when we have done things that we know he told us directly not to do, he is still there. And so if you found yourself this morning having taken things into your own hands, if you know that you're on a path that you shouldn't be on, if you know that you're acting in disobedience to the Lord, if you know that you just keep giving into that temptation, know that if you are faithless, he remains faithful. He is not like us. He doesn't unfriend us or cut us out of his life. I think that's the first issue that God is addressing here when He says, I am God Almighty. I am God Most Powerful. I am El Shaddai. The second issue I think Abram addresses here is baked into that proclamation of El Shaddai. Because, as we talked about before, Abram's 99 years old, Sarah is 89 years old. And it's been decades since God gave this promise that Sarah would bear a son. And that through that son would become the seed and father of many nations. And all these descendants would come to them. And here God again, if we continue on in 17, he reminds them, no, 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 Sarai is going to be the one who has the son. If you and I, if I was 99 years old, men, if you were 99 years old and your wife was 89, God gave you a promise 20 some years ago. Your wife has never had a child. She's been barren her whole life. She's past childbearing age. And God came to you and said, well, you two are going to have a kid. If we ascribed one word to that, what would be the most natural word to give it? Impossible. That's not possible. Later in the New Testament, we see that Abram trusted this, even though his wife was, as he said, as good as dead. It appeared impossible. And yet God, when he says, I am God Almighty, I am God Most High, I am El Shaddai, God Most Powerful, he is proclaiming to Abram that even though you think this is impossible, nothing is impossible with me. This reminder and proclamation the first thing that God says to him that I am God Almighty is a reminder to you and I, the God we serve and the God we must stand upon. It reminds us who he is. That he is faithful, that he is merciful, that he comes to us in love, he comes to us in compassion. Yes, he also comes to us in discipline and justice. He comes to us with affection in strength. And it is that we can rest upon this morning. It is that that we can find our foundation on when the waves of the world want to toss us to and fro. And we can take comfort today that if we've been faithless, he remains faithful. So that sets up here the second part of this verse. Verse. comes to him and he says, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Most Powerful. There's nothing that I cannot do. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Abram is now commanded to walk before him and be blameless, just as you and I are commanded to walk before him and be blameless. Now, if I was preaching that, those six words to myself in my high school years, I would have cried out, whoa, 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 Justin, myself, I have a verse for you. A verse that I've memorized and repeated over and over in my youth. And while all of us, I think, are many of us are familiar with the verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is the gift of God, it's not of your own doing." not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I would have quoted that to myself. i said, what do I do with this? Walk before me and be blameless. I don't have to do anything. And I would have been correct in stating to myself that my salvation does not depend on me, my salvation does not depend on my works, that salvation does not depend on my obedience. And you would be correct in also stating to me, Justin, that it does not depend on me or my works or my obedience But I find that it it is in the neglect of Ephesians 2:10 that we find ourselves in that place. Well, I can—I'm saved by faith. I do nothing. There's no response on my part, and we find ourselves living a life where we say, "Well, why not sin that grace may abound?" Which Paul directly rebukes in Romans chapter six. But if we were to read Ephesians 2:8 through 10 we would find that this isn't actually our calling in the Lord. It says here, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And it continues, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we see in Genesis chapter 17, walk before me and be blameless, we are not being told, walk before me for your salvation. No, we are not being told that. We are being told to walk before him and be blameless for his glory and for our growth. The covenant was already cut in Genesis 15. Abram's secure. Now walk before me and be blameless for my glory and your growth. Related to this, I've been reading through some theological works, and a Dr. Guy Prentice Waters writes, and I should have it here on the screen here. I didn't put it in your handouts, but it says, We observe the law, not for our justification. It's not for our salvation, but for our sanctification, the necessary and grateful response of redeemed sinners to our Redeemer. And this is true for us today. We are saved by faith so that we can walk before our God and be blameless for His glory and for our growth. Just as we watch and witness Abram do here. If we keep going in Genesis 17, we see him walking before the Lord and being blameless. In Genesis seventeen nine through 10, God says to Abram, he gives him another command, a very specific uh, act of obedience. He says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And so God says walk before me and be blameless and here's a specific act of obedience I would like you to take and if we carry on into verse 22 and when God had finished talking with him he went up from Abram then Abram took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abram's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him Abram stepped out and obeyed his heavenly father in faith, just as you and I must do today. We seek to walk before God and be blameless, not for our salvation, no, no. That is secure, just like Abram's cutting of the covenant with the Lord in Genesis 15. No, for his glory and for our growth. In faith, you and I obey our Lord because we seek his glory and our growth as his children. And I love here that Abram was commanded to circumcise his family and then he does it that very day. He didn't tarry, he didn't wait, he didn't say, oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Uh, Maybe next week. But no, he stepped out as an outpouring and overflowing of his faith and he obeyed the Lord. We see this given to us in Romans to further emphasize this truth that we're not saved by this. In Romans four eleven through 12, it says, he, Abram, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, Abram's obedience here was a seal of his faith, it was a seal of his righteousness that he had by faith. He did not earn salvation through this act, he did it to glorify his God and grow in the Lord. And so we've seen here in Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2, two things so far. God appears to a 99-year-old Abram and says, I am God Almighty. I am God Most Powerful. I am El Shaddai. There is nothing that is impossible with me. If you are faithless, I will remain faithful. And then he commands him to walk before him and be blameless, and he gives him a very specific act of obedience. Not for his salvation, but for God's glory and for Abram's growth. And now, this may seem to us this morning like a very king to subject, master to servant, commander to soldier type relationship. And I think we can look at that, and, and I think that's per- fairly accurate. He's given a command to his creation to do something. But this next phrase turns the whole thing on its head. He continues on, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. Now if we recall back to Genesis 15, the covenant's already been cut. So is this a new covenant? I don't think this is a new covenant. This is a reestablishing of the covenant of Genesis 15 where God passed between the halves of the severed animals, proclaiming to Abram, may it be done to me and more also if I do not hold up my end of the covenant. Where God proclaimed to Abram, may I be like these severed, mangled, bloody animals, and more also, if I, the God of creation, do not hold up my end of the covenant. No, this isn't a new covenant. This is a a confirmation of the covenant made. You may be asking where I draw that from, but if you skip ahead to Genesis 17, verse 7, we see him saying that he's establishing a covenant with him. Other translations, we use the word confirm. In the Hebrew, it literally means I will accomplish. I will confirm, I will make clearer, I will continue the covenant that I have already established with you in Genesis 15. So earlier we saw he's God Almighty, he's El Shaddai, he's God Most Powerful. Walk before me and be blameless. And that feels very king to subject, master to servant, commander to soldier. But here God says, I want to establish a mutual covenant with you. Or said differently, I'm entering into a mutual relationship with you, Abram. I'm not just king, commander, master. I am father I am companion I am your friend Unless you and I this morning think to ourselves well that relationship's just for God and Abram we're giving confidence through the scriptures that it is also for us this morning in Genesis 17:9 God says as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you through all your generations It's for all of your generations. And he says that a couple other places throughout Genesis 17, this is for his descendants. And maybe we would object this morning. I don't know anybody in here who's necessarily Jewish, a direct physical descendant of Abram. But this is also for us, the Gentiles. If we turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That includes us now. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, God established and entered into this mutual relationship with Abram, with his descendants. And if we are of faith, if we are Christians, if we have committed our lives to the Lord, then we too are sons of Abram, sons of Abraham. We too, through faith, join into that mutual relationship that's not just king to subject, master to servant, commander to soldier, but now is father and friend and companion. We enter into that mutual relationship with the Lord. And now, what's so beautiful here is that faith that Abram had and the relationship he enjoyed is what really separated him from the world around him. Abram didn't just have this intellectual knowledge of who the Lord was, he didn't just have a bunch of head knowledge about this Creator God. But he had, as we see through Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and onward, he had an experiential relationship with our God. And perhaps that relationship that he enjoyed with the Lord should raise questions in our hearts and our minds this morning. See, we've heard character qualities of God proclaimed and who he is brought before us and I would admit, I'm sure all of us acknowledge he exists and we can acknowledge those character qualities of the Lord. But to quote James and James two, we believe God you believe God is one, you do well, even the demons and believe and shudder. Simple knowledge of a creator and who he professes to be is not what Abram is enjoying here. Abram had entered into a mutual relationship with the creator of the universe. And that faith that he displayed is what saves. That faith is what restores our relationship with him. And fortunately, this morning, thousands of years later, we've been given the entirety of the scriptures. We've seen the stories throughout the word. We're further along in history and we can see a clearer picture of salvation and how God restored us to salvation. We have been given Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came from his throne on high, lived the life that we were supposed to live, died the death that we deserve to die, taking upon him the wrath of God that every one of us in this room deserve this morning, paying for my sins, my wickedness, my disobedience, my straying from the plan of the Lord and your wickedness, error, disobedience, and straying because he is faithful even when we are faithless. We have a clear picture of how he does it and you and I this morning can place our trust in faith for Jesus in Jesus for our salvation. We see that in Romans Therefore, with our heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Oh, I skipped a verse there. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You and I, just like Abram, can enter into that mutual relationship with the Lord and enjoy that fellowship with our creator. And so in Genesis 17, we've seen three of the four things I want to talk about this morning. God came to a 99-year-old man and said, I am God Almighty, I'm God Most Powerful, I am El Shaddai, nothing is impossible with me, I am faithful and you are faithless, and I can make you, a 99-year-old man, have a son with your 89-year-old wife. And then he says, walk before me and be blameless. He commanded Abram as that king, that master, that commander, not for his salvation to be obedient, but for God's glory and for our growth, for Abram's growth. And then God turned it on its head and entered into a mutual relationship with Abram, just as you and I can do this morning through Jesus Christ. And that last part of verse 2 I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. That he may multiply Abram greatly. God promised Abram blessing based on all of what he has already said. That God is faithful even when he's faithless. That Abram ought to walk before him and be blameless that he had made a covenant and entered in a mutual relationship with him. Now he says, I will also bless you. And the the specific blessing we're given here in verses four through eight, and it's wonderful. He says, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. What incredible blessings God promises to Abram here. Abram, though 99, Sarai, though 89, will have a son. There will be a multitude of nations descending from them. They will be given the land of Canaan, which is inhabited with all sorts of people who aren't like, yeah, you can just have my land. They're going to have to drive them out. All and and that he will be the God of his descendants. I want to focus in on one little word here. Verse 10. Oh, sorry. Verse 5. At the end of verse 5, it says, For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Notice that word, have. I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. Isaac's not born yet. How's that possible? God speaks here in the past tense because in God's mind this thing is as good as done. It is sure and it is certain. I have made you the father of nations because when our God proclaims a promise, we can be confident because of who he is, that we are standing on a bedrock foundation in him, that he is faithful when we are faithless, that he is God Almighty, God Most Powerful, and nothing is impossible with him. Not only does God promise his blessing, I love one of the things God does in here, he changes Abram's name. He says to Abram, you're a new man. You have a new name. This is a remarkably similar thing to what we see in Revelation. Well, here I won't get ahead of myself. In 2 Corinthians two, five through five, chapter five, verse seventeen, we see something pretty similar for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You and I, like Abram, had entered. In, Abram had entered into a mutual relationship with the Lord. If we are in Christ, we have done the same, and we are a new creation. In Revelation 2.17, this, this is a longer verse, but bear with me, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, I will give him, give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You and I, new creations in Christ, will also be given a new name by our Creator. So not only do we share in some of the blessings here laid out in Genesis 17, we have an abundance of blessings and promises given to us in the Scriptures. And if we are faithful to read through God's Word, and if we are confident in who He is, then we can be assured that those promises are ours too in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1 20 through 22 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us, the seal of the promised Spirit, given in our hearts as a guarantee. We have a seal too. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, that spirit is in you, given as a guarantee that he is faithful when you are faithless. And so you and I can have confidence this morning in the promises of God because of what he has done on our behalf and what we see laid out here in Genesis chapter 17 where God comes to a 99-year-old man and says, I am God Almighty. I am God most powerful. There is nothing that is impossible for me. If you are faithless, I will be faithful. Walk before me and be blameless. As a king, commander, master, he gives us things to do, not for our salvation, that's already secure, but for his glory and for our growth as his children. And not only is it a relationship of king, master, and commander, he says that I may make my covenant between me and you. You can astat, we can enter into a mutual relationship with our God through Jesus Christ. And that he, may He multiply you greatly. May you may mul- that I may multiply you greatly, and all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. May you and I have faith like Abraham this morning. May we respond as Abraham responds. I'm going to read just into verse 3 here. Let's read 1 through 3. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face. Abram fell on his face and he worshiped the faithful God, despite his disobedience in Genesis 16, the faithful God who cut the covenant and made it all on God and not on Abram at all. May you and I do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that thousands of years ago, the stories you tell us about men of faith like Abram are relevant to you and I today. We thank you, Lord, for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful when we're faithless. When things go awry, you're right with us. And I pray, God, that we would come to you, we would worship you, and we would fall on our faces before a faithful God this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.